0: This message by Brian Davis, entitled, Encouraging Men, is made available to you by Covenant Fellowship Church. It was recorded during the first session at our 2022 Regional Men's Conference, Rise Up. Praise the Lord, gentlemen. Good evening. It is a joy, absolute joy to be with you all. I hope that this is beneficial to you in some way and encouraging to you. It is an honor of mine to ever get to open God's word and encourage his people. And so thank you so much for having me and riding your snow machines here. Um, If you have a Bible, please open up to the book of Hebrews, chapter 3. The kind of order that we're going to go through in terms of the messages is tonight is going to be a more general encouragement um, that applies to us as Christians. Uh, Tomorrow morning is going to be a very specific encouragement to us as Christian men. And the third message is going to be us learning some encouragement from Christian sisters in the Bible. You're wondering what that's about, aren't you? See you tomorrow for that one. Hebrews chapter three, go and say amen when you get there. Um, My goal is to be an encouragement to you uh, this evening and I aim to do that by talking to you about encouragement this evening. So let me pray and ask for God's help. Dear Lord, dear Lord, Help us, help us, help us, help us, help us. We need help. None of us are what we desire to be. We have not yet attained that which we have been apprehended for. Each of us falls short, not only of the glory of God and sin, but even in our faithfulness. We, We are not what we will be one day, and we need help. We pray, Lord, that you would use this time, this evening, to encourage us and that you would encourage us to be encouraging. We ask, Lord, that you would sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why am I talking about encouragement? Because we all need Encouragement. You really, really do. I really, really do. And if the church is to be encouraged as God intends for her to be, it will be because God's people actively labor to be encouraging. New Year's resolutions, right? Everybody had some. You didn't even feel like I'm not gonna have one this year. That is a resolution. I wonder how high on that list I want to be an encouragement to the people of God this year. Hold on, I got an iPad. Let me make sure this thing don't turn off. (laughs) That is the worst. (laughs) You're like in the middle of a point. (laughs) It's like, yep, it was going to turn off on me. All right, we're good to go, gentlemen. Uh, I think we all have experienced a need for encouragement as well. Not only do you probably cognitively assent to the fact that, yes, I should be encouraging, you also know you need encouragement. You need other people to be encouraging. We have all experienced the daily drain of labor and the problem of spiritual drifting. We've all experienced our spiritual muscles atrophying. We've experienced the weight of carrying a sin nature. We've experienced being surrounded by a world at enmity with God that is raging vehemently against him. We've all experienced the drag that is not being home in glory yet. We all experience troubles and tribulations that are abounding. It is regular for many of us to feel tired, weary, faint-hearted, almost at the point of giving up and exhaustion. right We're all prone to a weariness and a tiredness. We know that when we get fatigued, we might have a category well then I know I need some encouragement right We, we, we get that when we're discouraged that we need to be encouraged. And we know that when we're tired, at least if you don't know, you should know, when you're tired, you're actually more prone to be discouraged. You add all that up, you put it in a blender, and it is a big cup of neediness that all of us drink regularly. Godly men are needy men, and they're needy of the right things. It's a wonderful thing to be needy because God is a God who provides. In fact... You experience the most of the Lord when you know the most of your need. His power is made perfect in weakness. <sighs> Again, while being in the condition of tiredness, tiredness might make us more sensitive to the fact that we need encouragement. It really just surfaces, I think, or reinforces this constant need of encouragement. There's moments when you're aware it's gone, but that doesn't mean that just because you're not aware it's gone that you're not being affected by it. It is a biblical truth. Absolutely, for every single one in this room, we all need encouragement from each other and get this, all of the time. While being surrounded with sin, We need to be regularly engaged with the ever-abounding grace of God in encouragement. Uh, We do get that there are particular occasions when encouragement is particularly meaningful and has a uniquely strengthening effect on your soul. As we said, when you're discouraged, encouragement has a unique effect. Water is always nice, but it is particularly satisfying when you are extremely thirsty or parched or dehydrated. And similarly, encouragement is always helpful, but particularly when you are disheartened. I do hope that if you are disheartened, this heart in this weekend that you leave encouraged. God tells us this. He knows our frame. He says, and pay careful attention to the discouraged ones. He remembers we're dust and mindful of our fragile and prone to collapse selves. He calls us to care for one another. You remember in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 14, he says, encourage the faint-hearted. You see a brother fainting? Encourage him. You see a sister fainting? Encourage her. You see a saint struggling? Encourage them. It is needed and appropriate to encourage the weary so that they might get a little bit more strength to continue the journey and not give up. When we are weary, we do have a heightened need for encouragement, but it is important to understand, brothers, that exhaustion is not the only time that you need encouragement. Sometimes manhood is talked about as if self-sufficiency belongs in kind of the manhood thing, that you kind of got it. That's part of what makes you a man. This is why men don't often share their struggles easily. Just one thing I just have a godly jealousy about concerning sisters. I hate in the best way possible how they get together for like five minutes and then they come back crying and stuff and they just, they know Everything. It's like, y'all just went to the bathroom. What happens in there? You know the stigma that we often perpetuate? We're strong. We don't need that. We're strong. We don't do that. Suck it up. Deal with it. Keep it moving. That is going to make you a discouraging person. And that is going to make you discouraged. We all need encouragement from each other all of the time. We need this regular encouragement, not just so that we can make it out of a particular season of being discouraged. Not just so we can get out of a season of being faint hearted and and become healthy. We need encouragement so that we can walk with Jesus and make it to glory. And I wanna show you where I get that from. So please, if you're looking in your copy of God's word, do look at Hebrews chapter three. I should probably turn there myself. I'm gonna read a passage. I'm gonna read chapter three, verse 12 and 13. We're really just gonna focus on verse 13, but just to give some kind of runway, I'll start at verse 12. This is God's word. Promise you best part of the sermon. Hebrews 3, verse 12, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Verse 13, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Brothers, this is God's word. and We are thankful for every part of it. I have three points from this verse. We find three things. We find what to do, we find when to do it, and we find why to do it. That is what to do, when to do it, and why to do it. Now I want to begin with what to do. What is the writer of Hebrews calling on the saints to do? He says, but exhort one another every day. That's what to do. So as you look at what your objective is, you're like, man, I don't know what my job is this year. If you're maybe in a job transition, that's cool. I hope you get something. If you have your job for a long time, like, man, I don't know where I fit in at the church. One job description that never changes ever in your life is to encourage the people of God. Uh, Now, the word exhort means to encourage. In fact, several other good translations, the NIV, the NASB, the CSB, they actually reflect that language and have it written, but encourage one another every day. And the reason that is there is because they are synonymous ideas. It's the same word that's used in Hebrews ten twenty five when the saints are called to not abandon meeting together, but rather to be about encouraging one another and all the more as they see the day approaching. To exhort here means to encourage. And that's why in this message, I'll be using those two words interchangeably, not only because it's a faithful translation and a synonym, but also because it's more familiar to our regular category. Sometimes when people hear exhort, they think like negative stuff. We don't usually use exhort regularly. We do use encourage. I think encourage actually puts more handles on what the idea is being offered to us in the word. And then the idea of the word is to call from close by, to call from close by. It's the idea of coming along somebody, alongside them, close by, and calling to them, right, to help them. The Greek word is parakaleo. I don't know Greek. Next point. No, uh-oh, it's late. Anything's possible. Uh, the Greek, there's a reason I said that. It is not to impress you with the Greek I don't know. Um, but the word is parakaleo, and the reason I'm saying that word out loud is because even though you don't know Greek and you hear parakaleo, it reminds you of another Greek word, even though you don't know Greek, and that is what? Paraclete. Look at us. Gift of tongues. Amen. In the paraclete, right, that means helper, right? It's a label given to the Holy Spirit himself, he who in the most intimate and abiding and perfect way comes alongside and calls to us. Again, I don't bring these Greek words up to confuse us or to impress you, but rather to present there is a connection. God loves to help us to honor him. And he calls us to love helping others honor him. He loves to do that for us, and brothers, he wants you to love doing that for others. The Lord is not calling us to do anything he has not done first, anything he does not do best, anything he does not give us an example of in his word. This call for us to be encouraging isn't based on your own personal traits and disposition, but rather it's based on your own personal experience with Christ. You're called to be encouraging because you have been encouraged by Jesus. Even after verse 13, if you just look at verse 14, it begins by saying what? For we, for we have come to share in Christ. Exhort one another every day as long as it's called today because we have come to share in Christ. So how we encourage and how we receive encouragement is an indication of our awareness of our share in Christ. We're being called to encourage in a manner that reflects how encouraged you've been in Jesus. This is how Paul sought to encourage the Philippian church to greater humility and love and labor. He reminded them that they had received much in Christ. They were to imitate Jesus in humble, loving service. Right before the Apostle Paul begins to call them to consider others more highly than themselves in Philippians chapter 2, he first calls them to consider Christ. The chapter doesn't begin with count others more significant than yourself. The thought actually begins with remember Christ. He says if there is any encouragement in Christ, have the same mind among you. It's as if he says, has not Jesus encouraged you with his humble help? Well, then you should encourage one another. If they were to rightly examine Jesus and what Jesus did and the effect that Jesus' work had, if they were to rightly see that, they would find much energy to be encouraging in Christ. And that's what he tells him, you've been the recipients of a humble love. You have been the recipient of mercy from a holy king of glory who condescended, who didn't seek his own interest, but instead sought yours, that, that he came down in humility as a servant to die on the cross in order to save you." And Paul was saying, "And that's encouraging. Jesus left glory for you. That's encouraging. Therefore, do that to others. Because you know what that will be? That will be encouraging. You have found encouragement in Christ. When you think about the cross, brothers, when you think about what had to happen to save you, When you think about your wretched and poor and pitiable state, when you think about the fact that you were dead in your trespasses and sins, when you think about the fact that you deserved the wrath of God, that you deserved forever in hell, that you deserve to be forever separated from the experience of his goodness and his pleasure and his joy because of how wicked and evil and vile and corrupt and twisted and helplessly depraved, we all are. When you think about that and say, man, I deserve to die. I deserve to not only die, but after dying, die forever. That's just how bad that I am. And yet, while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. Though I was weak at that time, soaked in all that sin. He loved me. He came for me. He suffered. He he became like I am. He took my sin in his body on the tree. He suffered the death I deserve to suffer. He really died in a cold tomb and he conquered death which I would be consumed by so that I might be saved and be with him forever and be seated with him now in heavenly places with Every spiritual blessing with a promise he's coming back to get me soon, that is encouraging. In fact, there's nothing more encouraging. If the snow stopped, that would be encouraging. Not as encouraging as the fact that as the snow covers the ground. The Lord has covered our sin. Paul's like, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any. And just for the guy who might be sitting there listening to Paul, he starts telling him something because he was in the form of God. but didn't count that as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself and took the form of a servant. Becoming obedient even to the point of death, even the death of the cross. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, that's one of the ways we encourage each other. God has not destined you for wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. Encourage one another with these words. That's what evangelism is. Right? If you're here today and you do not know Jesus, if I just said all this stuff and you're like, I don't know if that's happened to me. And you're like, man, the guy who brought you just is talking to you about Jesus. I just want you to know, there is nothing more encouraging he could say to you than to let you know you are far from God because of your sin. But that though you're far from him, he loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his son to save you. And if you would turn from your sin right now, if you, if you would trust in Christ right now, he will forgive you for all your sin forever. He, he won't remember it anymore. He's just that encouraging of a God. This is why we receive correction. Correction. Because it's, it's, it's an unpleasant encouragement. Amen. What do you say? Say ouch if you can't say amen. The psalmist said, let a righteous man strike me. Do you remember why, what he says after that? He says, it is a kindness to me. It's like oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. Let me not turn down that encouragement. Again, all these, and we've just discussed these different kinds of ways to encourage. Right? The picture is coming side by side with someone to help them in staying faithful to the Lord. And it's not a one-size-fits-all for every situation. The ways that we encourage one another and the ways that we can be encouraging are diverse. Even if you were to do a quick look at how this word is translated in the New Testament, we have this word, encourage, exhort here. It's used over 100 times in the New Testament. If we just were to survey the different ways it's translated, it does give us a helpful perspective to see the scope and the span of the word. For instance, it's translated as exhort. It's translated as comfort. It's translated as urge. Translated as appeal. Translated as plead, translated as entreat, translated as implore, translated as encourage, translated even as preach. We see from that range of emphasis, there's still this bond of harmony. You kind of get why it's all in the same bag. Well, which one of those are encouraging? You would say, well, man, we need all those. We need to be corrected and encouraged and comforted and exhorted and called and admonished and preached to and treated and implored. Like, this is what he's saying. Do that to God's people every day. It 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 is a helpful effort intended to provoke a godly response. That's what encouragement is. It's a helpful effort. It's an effort to help. An effort to help someone have a godly response That's what we mean by encouragement. It's to help someone love Jesus more. And there's a lot of ways to do that. Coming beside someone, doing something to strengthen their commitment to follow Jesus. What is in view in this call for regular exhortation in verse 13 is the command and charge for us to be regularly about that business with each other. A quick question for us to ask ourselves right now is, am I doing my part in the body? Dear brother, are you encouraging? Are you encouraging? Are you actively encouraging the body? Are you actively encouraging the saints daily, or are you discouraging? Are you encouraging to your fellow members? Brothers, are you encouraging to your pastors? And for those who are pastors in here, it's important we ask, are we encouraging to our flock? Perhaps an even better idea is instead of just asking yourself, (laughs) why don't you ask somebody you're with? Ask a fellow member who knows you best, whatever name perhaps even just came to your mind. You know, the one person you might not wanna talk to about this question, ask them. Ask your roommate, ask your wife, ask your kids, ask those you regularly connect with. Ask your pastor, say, hey, am I encouraging to you daily? in your following of Jesus. Ask them those questions, invite their feedback, encourage their feedback, promise no retaliation. How sweet of the Lord to give us such good commands. You know when you read God's word and you're just like, man, yo, know, his commandments are good. I feel this as, as a dad. Some of my commands suck. My kids still have to do it. Because I'm dad. <laughs> I did my time. No, uh, but I just marvel at the perfection of his law. The law of the Lord is perfect and revives the soul. It cheers the heart. It enlightens the eyes. His commands are good. He commands us to eternally good stuff. Come to me and live. That's a command. Leave your sin and don't die because of it. That's his command. That's that's a kind of king he is. All who are weary, come and get some rest. Saints, my children, encourage each other every day. Praise God a suite of the Lord to command us to encourage and help each other. It is profound to consider that the scriptures which are breathed out by God include clear calls to encourage God's people, encourage one another, build one another up. The king commands it. And here we have a strategy for every believer. You want to know what God wants you to do today? What he wants you to do tomorrow. And you've encouraged me already. You addressed me through song. You're here. You prayed. You're, you're going you're to encourage each other as we leave. You, you are encouraging. You are not here and discouraging in any way, shape, or form. You're on a Friday night in a snowstorm to hear about Jesus. I trust you are some of the more encouraging ones. But let's be real. We all have a little room to grow. Amen? I was reading a Spurgeon sermon and he was talking about how perfect, first of all, he was talking about the Lamb of God and how perfect a lamb Jesus was. He said, never has any been more purely lamb than him. He said, even the best of men, who is the most lamb-like, he said, there's a pinch of the tiger in us all, but no such in him. Even the most encouraging of us Have room to grow and have need of being encouraged. Do something, say something that stirs up a saint to love and good works all to the glory of God. God calls us to be active in this, think about this, pray about this, plan about this. And we can see and understand why this activity is most needed. Our verse begins with a but exhort. It begins with a contrast to a thought directly preceding it. And if we read the verse right before, verse 12, we are helped even more to understand our passage and its context, its intensity and its urgency. Verse 12 says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Be on guard so that you don't fall away from God. And if your mind, there's something like, oh, that can't happen to me. I don't think you're reading the Bible right. He says, be on guard to not fall away, that you wouldn't be deceived. People don't just open a door off a cliff and give up their soul to fall away from God. It's it's a deceitfulness, it's a self deception that leads them to fall away. And he's telling the church there, be on guard. Brother, do whatever you got to do with your Calvinism to make that sit right. Some quick context about the passage, right? The writer of Hebrews is addressing Christians, a Christian audience, who is growing tired of the Christian walk and is being tempted to walk away. And you say, oh, that won't happen to me. John Newton was writing to a young minister and the young minister was being discouraged about his lack of spiritual development. And he said, "I, I just wish maybe I would, if I was more tempted, I might grow stronger. And John Newton says, you don't know what you're asking. Our Lord has called us to pray that we enter not into temptation. And he began to tell this young man, do you know what Satan's able to do in a moment? If you read Job one and two, and then you get to like, what happened? Chapter three, that happened fast. And if you read that like, man, Job was tripping. First of all, Job was tripping, but we tripping. (laughs) If you think you would be less tripping That's a problem. You trip just as much. Imagine that perfect, cocktail of trials that would bring you to your wits end and have you ready to throw in the towel imagine such a prolonged season of dryness and soul you you start to even doubt man is there anything even alive as as a brother of mine you you start looking at the vine and like this mug is dry is there am I even in the vine you start seeing troubles and trials and relational conflict and you struggle with sin, your besetting sins, your entanglements and the weights and how it waits on you and waits on you and waits on you. And then there's this little tiny window that starts to open up that says, hey, you don't got to deal with all that. You can come over here. Take those weights off. Those are, you're, you're, you don't even got to have all that. If life is going to suck anyways, you might as well enjoy it. Saints was over here like they were struggling, they were suffering so much. They had them looking at Judaism like, yo, that at least had some stuff going for us. We had community, we had a place, we had a name, we had some respect, we had a standing. Take care, brothers. Again, in context, these are Christians thinking about throwing in the towel. And the writer of Hebrews recalls to their mind Psalm 95, for in it is a warning from the Holy Spirit about the danger of straying from the Lord and hardening their hearts. And the writer is appealing to him, he says, because for those who do that, who are content to stray and have a hardened heart. God says something about them. He swears something about them. He swears in his wrath. They don't get his rest. And God always keeps his promises. Men who keep going back to pornography are assuming that if they Keep on deliberately sinning that that door of grace and forgiveness cannot be or trampled upon. There's a reason in the warning it says, be careful. You who go on deliberately sinning, who in your mind are thinking, he'll forgive me if I do it. That's an evil, unbelieving heart. He goes on to say, because you know the ones who didn't make it in, right? Those are the ones he called out of Egypt. He delivered from slavery. Then he led by fire and by smoke. Be careful, be on guard. Oh, well, He calls them, and through them He calls to us. Keep watch over your hearts. Recognize we have the same sin in us. We are just as prone to wander, just as inclined to harden our hearts. We reform for. We sing songs about it. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love prone to Hebrews 3, 12. We had a member at our last church who was a leader in Christian hip-hop called The Cross Movement for 25 years and walked away. And the signs are all the same. He didn't do it overnight. It was a drifting A distancing, a removal from himself, from the encouragement that the people of God are to give. You remember the Israelites, they were in the wilderness, and rather than encouraging each other to be faithful, they were encouraging each other to stray. They're walking around telling my man the leaks. (sighs) I could use some leaks right now. But you were in slavery. They were walking around talking about, it's hot out here. We're thirsty. He brought us out here to kill us. He doesn't love us. He just says that to us. If, it was, if he loved us, this wouldn't be so hard. And their bitterness spread to many and defiled many. <laughs> if you don't recognize that you're prone to stray, you won't think others are. Or even worse, you're going to think that others are in a way that you're not because you're better. And what's going to happen in that is if you think this isn't going to happen to you, you won't care about encouragement. You won't think you need the same encouragement all the saints need. If you don't think about you, you're not going to think about others. You're not going to think they need your encouragement. Or you're going to be encouraging in a non-encouraging way because it's going to be condescending because you think it can happen to them but not to you. But what he's saying here is this is us. We are team hot mess. <laughs> Saved by the grace of God and dwell by the Spirit of God, and He has given us this charge to say, be on watch and call to each other from each other's side, call, help each other home. Again, what would it, what would it, what it, the humility that's required for this will make you encouraging and will make you encouraging to others. It will make you open to receive that encouragement from, for, uh, from others. What it most fundamentally acknowledges is that you need help. When you know that your heart strains, you know, I need help and I want all the help God has for me. And one of God's biggest plans to keep you in the faith is the beloved. This is why our membership in a church is so necessary because we need all that encouragement and we need all kinds of encouragement from all kinds of believers. Again, it's important and it's important to God. It must be important to us. He says, encourage one another. Don't worry, the second two points aren't as long. That's what to do. But notice when he says when to do it. It's not just that you need encouragement. You need a high dose. You need a high dose. Text says, but exhort one another every day. Every day. As long as it's called today. No Greek tricks here. Every day means every day. (laughs) anyone with eyes can tell you that I don't spend a lot of time running. So this example is not from experience, but it's completely from observation. (laughs) Marathon runners run very far. Apparently, a little over 26 miles. This is all Wikipedia so far. And what I heard from skilled runners who talk to me is that a marathon is such a tough run that requires so much energy, focus, and determination. It actually requires a lot of self-discipline, devotion, and practice. You ain't about to just wake up one day randomly and say, I'm gonna go run 26 miles. You train for it. You train your body, you prepare yourself But regardless of how much you train, on the day of the race, you still need something outside of yourself. While determination and discipline and devotion accomplish much, and they do accomplish much, they cannot accomplish all. They cannot keep you hydrated. In addition to all your training and focus, you also need water. (laughs) Runners would collapse without it. You can be in as good a shape as you wanna be. You ain't about to run no 26 miles with no water. Your body is designed to need water, even in its most crisp physique. And increasingly so, the harder you push yourself and the harder you exert yourself, the more Water you'll need. So what marathons do is they have these little water stations and they're spaced throughout the race. And you might have seen them before, like I have, on TV <laughs> or on YouTube. <laughs> but there'll be along the race these groups of people with these little stations, and they just got these little cups of water. And the people run and they go and they the cup and then They just keep it moving, but they just hold out these little cups of water so they just just get a little hydration so they can keep going. And there are multiple stations along the course of the race because runners need water along the race to make it, and you completely see where I'm going with this illustration. Beloved, as we eye finishing our own race, as Paul phrased it, we will need help to successfully complete the journey. The race is long. The trials are many. Opposition is endless. And God has put stations along our path to keep us going. But these stations aren't random volunteers with cups of water, but it's the people of God with encouragement. And they push us on, and they push us on. And we got multiple stations in our Christian life. The Lord's Day, right? Our church service station. That's when we all show up to get hosed down with the water of the word. But God says in this verse something that we need to appreciate, and that is that Sundays are not enough. Sundays are necessary, absolutely necessary. In our church tradition, you can be removed from membership for not coming on Sunday. This is not an either or. This is a both and. God says you need the encouragement of the Lord's Day. You need encouragement every day. Every day? Perhaps his pen slipped or a scribe inserted it. Not at all. God is clear on what we actually need. We need to be fueled by those daily stations. We need daily encouragement in order to run successfully, Daily encouragement from others is designed by God to provide daily fuel for us to follow Jesus, and we need it daily. We're in such an individualistic culture that this kind of makes some of us freak out on hearing it. This just sounds utterly impossible. And already we start to maybe change what he said. Okay, well, okay, (laughs) can't do every day. How about every other week, which is what our small group structures generally reflect. And why those two are good, no diss. The text says you need it every day. You need the saints every day. Times are hard, and we need encouragement because times are hard. That is true. But Christianity's hard, and we need encouragement because that's God's design. This is not to discredit again the particular usefulness of particular refreshing words, or, or, or those those fresh uh, words in season. That's like an apple of gold in a setting of silver. But it's rather just simply to say, in addition to that need and encouragement in those hard times, we need daily encouragement because we're super sinful. Aside from the unique hardships we enter in and out of, we live perpetually burdened by a broken and fallen world. All of creation is groaning with it. And so the text calls us to exhort one another every day, or as some translations have it day after day, right? We need encouragement that regularly, we're that needy, we're that depleted, we're that prone to give up. And when you think about the Christian life, it's no surprise. We need encouragement daily, daily. We have to resist the world. Daily, we have to pick up a cross. Daily, we have to deny ourselves, our flesh, fight the devil. Daily, we are subject to spiritual attacks and assaults. Daily, we have to navigate a broken world and have burdened hearts. Daily, we have need of provision. Daily, we have need of assistance. Daily, we show we're prone to wander from him. Daily, we sin against the Lord. Daily need, daily sin, daily straying, daily drifting, daily doling. And God has a solution for that and it's called daily encouragement. Listen, our daily communication with each other must include encouraging each other in the Lord. We have like a superpower. It's something only the saints can do. Have you ever tried to encourage an unbeliever in deep grief? The only encouragement you have is there's a God who can help you with that. But if they resist him, there's, there's you got nothing. You can't tell them it's going to be all right. It's not going to be all right. You can't tell them, don't worry, be happy. It's like, man, you're headed to utter gloom and misery. You can't tell them that they're not on their own because if they resisted the Lord, that's exactly what they are. The Bible says without God and without hope. But it's not true for a saint. We got a buck of encouragement. What you going through, bro? He got something for that? Let's turn to Psalm 23. Let's turn to Psalm 145. Let's turn to Psalm 1. Let's turn to Romans 8 and read it slowly. Encouragement is not like little trophies that we hand out for each other getting your know, job well done. Although please do hand them out. Go up to your pastor and say, <laughs> Don't tell him I slept through the last half. What'd you say? <laughs> but but go up to him and say, Brother, brother, you labored in the word for me today. Thank you for preaching the word to me. Today, Thank you for keeping a close watch on your life and on your teaching because it's working out my salvation. Thank you. That will be encouraging. We need that. But the bulk of encouragement in the Bible is actually the little pushes we give to each other to actually help each other along the way. It's the the keep going push. And we all need a whole lot of pushes. Sometimes we need a forceful push. Shove. Sometimes we need to be snatched up. That's a hood parent phrase of you guys. Sometimes, every now and then you guys snatch somebody up. And what we're doing when we're doing that is we're, we're not saying look to you. We're not saying look to me. We're saying remember the Lord. Remember how good he is. We're entreating each other to believe in the word of the Lord always. So when we serve each other as we have opportunity to do good and meet each other's needs. You ever had a lack financially and somebody says, man, the Lord just put his heart to give you some money. Just want you to know he sees you and he'll provide for you. You start crying like a baby, even if it was $50, because it's encouraging to you. We address one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs. You mean a brother who's grumbling and complaining? Try singing with him. We are urging each other to turn from sin and worldliness. We're correcting each other when we err and when we stray. We're preaching the gospel to each other so that we don't forget that we're cleansed from our former sins. We plead with each other to keep the faith And they keep fighting the good fight. We comfort each other with the sure and glorious hope we have. We we call each other to long for our king's return and to look for it. Whether it's a text or a call or a visit or an email, it can be a cup of water to keep somebody running. Oh, brothers, hand the cups out. Have the aquatic ministry of encouragement. Sure, we all have different seasons where we may especially benefit from encouragement, but we're told we need it for the stability of our souls. Some may seem more joyful and jubilant and loud, while others may seem more melancholy and dejected, but we don't judge based on that. Right, regardless of where you fall on that spectrum or regardless of how you seem to others or regardless of what you think you need, what is true for you is that you need the encouragement of God's people daily. I need encouragement. You need encouragement. We need an Oprah Winfrey that mug, right? You get some encouragement and you get some encouragement and you get some encouragement. And no exceptions because every saint is running a hard race. A cross is always heavy. It's interesting in Romans 15 verse 4, we read one purpose of the scriptures is that through the endurance. It says through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. One of the reasons you have a Bible is to have hope. And you know you're always reading it wrong if it somehow removes that from you. Part of why God is giving you his word is so you would be encouraged with hope. Right after that passage, God is called the God of endurance and encouragement. So what's the connection? What's the connection between endurance and encouragement? What's the relationship? Why do they seem like sibling virtues? I think it's this. Encouragement becomes most needed when endurance is being called for. When the task is enduring, that's when you need encouraging. The longer you got to run, the more water you're going to need. We particularly appreciate the call to encourage here in Hebrews when we understand the context of the Hebrew letter was to call them to endurance, that they would not shrink back and be destroyed, but have faith and preserve their souls. This was the Hebrews' audience. They suffered and struggled and were contemplating giving up and giving in. And what was needed was daily encouragement to keep going. And the writers say, hey, that's one reason you got a church. You've been placed in an encouragement cohort. Encourage one another all the time. And all the time encourage one another. As long as you're called to endure, you will need encouragement to do it. As long as it's called today. So if today is today, you need to be encouraged. If today is today, you need to be encouraging. (sighs) Lastly, he tells us what to do, when to do, and then he tells us why. And he says that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Again, we, remember verse 12, right? We have, we have evil hearts. We can possess an evil, unbelieving heart that wants to walk us off a cliff of abandoning God. And God has a remedy for that. We used to be hard-hearted towards the Lord because of our sin, right? Just as Adam and Eve ate and died without knowing how full that death was, So too we were dead in our trespasses and sins and we were completely blind to just how dead the deadness really was. This is the case with everyone who turned from the Lord and stayed in their sin. They were blind to it. But everyone who turned from their sin to Jesus, they were delivered from that. Even got a surgery, we're told, that he in some way had taken away a stone heart and given us a heart of flesh, a heart that feels for him and desires to love him and delights in him. Right, The gospel of the Lord Jesus changed us. He completely transformed us. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So Jesus has saved us from that sinful heart that used to dominate us, from, from going in the direction that those who are under the wrath of God go, He's promised to us that if we repent of our sins, we'll enter his rest. We know that Jesus died for our sins, that he buried our sin in his grave, and he raised from the dead and conquered our sin and death in our place. It's encouraging. It's truly encouraging. And yet, as transformed as we are, it's that already and not yet, and there's this weird wrestle we still have. And God says, respect the wrestle. It will keep you needy. It's not supposed to make you doubt. It's supposed to make you humble. That's the great aim of encouragement is speaking to that not yet part of us and calling us to be reminded of the already and still to come. The great aim of encouragement is not, hey, brother, you got this. No, it's, hey, brother, Christ did it. Keep going. It's look to Jesus. That's what the goal is. It's look to you like, I'm horrible. You are. But look to Jesus. That is what the writer of Hebrews did in this letter. Oh, and hearing that the saints were getting weary, the writer wrote to them and encouraged them to think deeply, richly, fully, aboundingly on Christ. He hears of them and he writes a letter and says, do you remember the Son of God? the Son of God, who is the appointed heir of all things, who is the very radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, who is made purification for our sins and who is seated at the right hand of majesty on high with the most excellent name far superior to that of any other created being. Do you remember him? He he, he calls him to say, remember Jesus. Oh, brothers, there's never a trial that will come close to the suffering of hell. You will never know a trial that comes close to that trial. There is never a hardship that comes close to bearing the wrath of God. And you've been spared from that by God. And not only has he not left you to yourself on the day of judgment, he has not left any of his people to themselves on their journey home. He hasn't left us as orphans. He's given us his spirit and then he's given us his body so that we'll be strong as we walk home together. And the writer of Hebrews is doing that in chapter three. He's saying, brothers, and this is how he starts, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Consider him. Consider him. Consider him. You've never been told that too much. You've never bumped into somebody who was thinking too deeply on Jesus. Jesus. Oh, this writer's saying, remember him, consider him. And he does that all through this letter. This this letter is the look to Jesus letter. He's encouraging this wandering, weary group, and he's saying, look to Jesus, look to Jesus, look to Jesus. And, brother, that's what we got to do with each other daily. Hey, man, look up. I want you to, come on, give it to, I'll be your bosom buddy. Come on, give it to me. But they'll look up. Look up. Look up. Remember Jesus. Oh, and this writer gives us some things to be encouraged by. I just want to leave you with a couple of his thoughts. The writer of Hebrews, and this is all things we can steal because it's in the Bible for us. The writer of Hebrews encourages this, this group, these Christians, to look to Christ Who is their great high priest? Nobody knows the troubles you've seen, but Jesus does. We have a high priest who can sympathize with our weakness, tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. And he tells them because of that, they can go to Jesus to get help for all their times of need. The writer encourages them to flee to Christ as a sure refuge. He tells them to look to Christ, who is a successful forerunner. You want to know who to follow? Follow the one who made it to heaven. He calls them to trust in Christ. He guarantees a better covenant. You want to go back to works? Works adds to the burden. Christ has made it so God remembers your sins no more. He guarantees a better arrangement. He he calls them to depend on Christ, who secured an eternal redemption. And who will eagerly save those who are eagerly waiting for him. He calls them to draw near to Christ. Who has opened the new and living way to heaven by his blood. And who cleanses our hearts and consciences and our bodies. You feel alone, friend. Jesus made it so you can go directly to God. He encourages them to obey Christ, to not profane his blood or outrage his spirit, to remember his vengeance and his fearful judgment. The writer continues in chapter 12, encouraging them and exhorting them, saying, Listen, Consider Jesus, consider his run, right? He says, Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. How? How do we put off weights? How? How do we put off sin? How? How do we run with endurance? He says, Looking to Jesus who founded and perfected our faith. Listen, I don't know all that you've experienced. I don't know most of your names. I can't help you in all your troubles. I can't carry all of your burdens. I can't guarantee you a safe arrival to glory. But guess what? He does. He can. He will. He is faithful. And he will surely do it. I don't know your name, but he has yours written down. I can't carry your troubles, but you can cast them on him who cares for you. I can't meet all of your needs, but he will supply for all of your needs according to your riches in glory. And I will not be with you forever. I'm not going to be with you in a couple days. But there is nothing, not distress, not nakedness, not famine, not sword, not death, nor life, angels, nor demons, things present or things to come, nothing in all of creation that can ever separate you from the love of God in Christ. Friend, He is with you always. And you know what? That's encouraging. And that's what we're trying to do, brothers. We're trying to be encouragers. We want us to be, and we need to have that balance. One thing I love about Sovereign Grace is there. there's a mark of putting things together that people are afraid of going together. Like, like rich, clear soteriology, clear gospel, clear articulation of the sovereignty of God, and then an expressive, enthusiastic, joyful, kind of lose your mind a little bit about him <laughs> while you do it. That's a tension that's beautiful when it's held together. There's Christians who think the grace of God has saved us, and so we'll never fall away. And then there's a group of Christians that say, listen, it's all on you. You mess up. You're going to slip off a cliff and be away from God forever. And both of those are bad. But there is a tension of knowing I have an evil heart that was leading me somewhere, but I'm trusting in a God who's able to keep me and guards me by his power. And therefore, with a fearful, holy trust, I keep his word by faith, depending on the grace of an all-sufficient Savior who has given me his Holy Spirit so that I might keep myself in his love, all the while depending that he'll keep me. When you say all that and you do all that, that's a tension, Brothers, don't lose the tension. You got to feel the warning. But the warning is meant to be met with encouragement. God doesn't want you to end on a warning. He wants the warning to bring you to Christ, the drifting heart to tether you to Christ, the, 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 the prone to wanderness to make you fall on Jesus. And brothers, we need each other to do it. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would help us. Pray you would help us. You have and you will. Pray that you would help us to be sober-minded for the sake of our prayers. Pray that you would help us to keep ourselves in your love, building ourselves up in this most holy faith, praying in your Holy Spirit. All while looking to you who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us all spotless before your presence with exceeding gladness and with great joy. To you be the dominion and the power forever and ever, Lord, and help us to live like it, to live under it, and to call to each other, to stay right by each other, charge each other, encourage each other, to trust in a God who's always faithful. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.